Welcome to the Writer's Block Party Podcast with your hosts Meredith Bond and Prue Warren, where they discuss every aspect of a writer's life, from the craft of writing and editing, through publishing and marketing, and finally into building a global publishing empire. Here is Mary and Prue. Hello, welcome to the Writer's Block Party podcast. I am your co-host, I'm Prue Warren, with endless, endless questions. Thankfully, my co-host has a lot of answers, and my co-host is... Hi, I'm Meredith Bond. Today, I do not have the answers. Today, we are relying on other people. We have... The world has stopped spinning. We're all going to fly off into space. What do you mean we don't have the answers? All right. Um, then I just hit the timer instead of doing it at the beginning. This is what we're doing today, Meredith, and I'm very eager for this. We are having a panel of speakers. One of our panelists was unable to make it for COVID, which is a pretty, pretty good excuse. Today, we're talking with our returning champion, Mindy Klasky, noted author. Hello, Mindy. Hello there. Nice to be back. Thank you. And our other returning champion, Heather Roberts of L. Woods Promotions. And, and Heather is my answer lady. Hello, Heather. Hi, Prue. Great to be here. Good to see you again. <laughs> Thank you. And you. If anybody has problems with, with voices, since we don't do a video recording, um, then you'll have to email me or Mary and say, who said that? Because I think these voices <laughs> are very distinct. These are the three voices that I count on when I have questions. And oh boy, do I have questions. <laughs> Our topic today yeah. I'm ready. You got to be real. Gear up. Their talk today is marketing, fails and wins, and what we can learn from those. And because this is marketing happens, it changes with such blistering speed that I want to point out that this podcast is recorded on June 22nd of 2022. So if listener, if you're listening to this three months later, not everything that you hear here is going to be absolutely true because, my God, the evolution is so fast. You really do have to wear your floaty wings because otherwise the rising tide's going to swamp you. That's a good question to start with, Heather and Mindy. Do you think that even in three months, things are going to be different from what you say today? Very possibly. I mean, I'll jump in there. Okay, Heather. Uh, it's an entire possibility that that could be true, or at least the things that are working like gangbusters today will be different. Um, it may, for example, uh, TikTok, we've seen that. I, I don't think that we can have this conversation without talking about TikTok and how that's on my list right now. On my list. Yep. Yeah. You know, a lot of authors, we can get into the hesitancy. Do we want to do it? Do we not want to do it? It's with our brand. You know, we can get into all of that, but Wait, first explain, first explain TikTok and book talk for people who are at the sure. beginning of our journey. So there's this little app, <laughs> the clock app, as many call Ooh. it. No, but for real, uh, TikTok has changed a lot of authors' lives. Uh, it's given them the ability, at least I think, this is the one of the reasons why it's so successful, is because a lot of the readers that are on TikTok are the more, maybe more traditionally traditional readers. So they read when they go to um, Books A Million or Barnes, Barnes & Noble, they look and see what are the traditional releases that have come out. And those are the authors that they go to. A lot of these people are younger 
uh, skewed and they maybe haven't been introduced to the indie romance world yet. And so what Book Doc has done has bridged that gap uh, because the, the struggle for us marketers over the years has always been, how do you reach that reader? How do you reach the reader that only goes to Barnes & Noble, who only knows about traditional romance publishing? As an indie author, how do you reach them? And Booktop has essentially been that place where you can reach them. Um, Authors have been putting out all types of videos. And, you know, there's certain ways to do it that are better than others. But people, especially indie authors, traditional authors as well, uh, backlist books, books that have been out for, you know, many years, five, six, eight years, uh, have been finding themselves in the top 100 uh, on a variety of platforms because of BookTok, because these So if you, if you go, if I, if you go on BookTok as an author, and yes. BookTok is a subset of TikTok, you go to TikTok and look up BookTok. Yes. I'm sorry. So yeah, let, right. let's pick up. There's TikTok and then just like the romance genre, there's a bunch of subgenres of TikTok. <laughs> yep. And TikTok has, you know, you can be on book talk. You can be on, uh, I'm on an inspector talk for some reason where people go and inspect houses. I love it. Uh, you can be on all different segments of TikTok. Um, and the algorithm algorithm really likes to sort of put things in categories when you look at things, when you look at things in book talk, when you go and see what other authors are doing, do you see people going, here's my backlist book, Love Gone Wild, and you should read it. And is that enough? I mean, it feels like yeah. it's a cult of personality more than a marketing scheme. There's a couple different ways that you can do it. Um, it's, you have to lean into your own skills and your own, you know, best parts of yourself. If you are not a person that is extremely extroverted or even a little bit extroverted, <laughs> you're going to struggle a bit to find your comfortability with putting your face out there. But there's other things that you could do, or maybe talking to the camera. That might not be your strong suit, but you can take videos. Uh, there's, I mean, we can get into the nitty gritty of, you know, the short-term video, the short videos that are working right now um, and all of that. And that's a, for an example what I was trying to say from the beginning is like those specific marketing strategies in three months from now are not necessarily going to work. Will right. book talk work? Yes, probably. I think that it's here to stay unless something, at least for a while, um, unless something catastrophic happens. But uh, you know, I think that book talk is here to stay. It's about finding out how to use it for your branding and what you're comfortable with. So you don't have to take a video of your face. You can take a video of your bookshelf and then put words of dialogue over uh, that video and post that. Uh, you could take a video of your dog playing in the yard if your book has a dog in it. And, you know, or even if it's relevant at all, maybe a little, um, you know, and post that with dialogue of words over it. And the dialogue or the words over it are essentially just the hook. Well, what are you trying? What are you trying to get across to um, the reader to pick up your book? So you're not so going to you, pick random. You're going to pick something that has a hook, right? So you, it's your, it's your belief, and I know nobody can measure this. Nobody shares this kind of information. But it's your belief that a book talk campaign properly run, right? Obviously, not a not a dip a toe in the water, but a real serious. Someone's decided to go out on book talk big, actually will affect sales. It can affect sales. Yes. And you think it's mostly you? people who read print books 
I mean, because like for an in, for most indie authors, people download my book. Then I can't. You can't get my books at Books a Million. You can't. You can't. You can't walk into a, a bricks and mortar bookstore and buy my book. Right. But they're fine. Right. They are buying. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. No, that's correct. But they are finding them that way. So they're finding eBooks. Um, you know, they're certainly reading eBooks. Let's you know, be honest, they, they are e- reading eBooks. They just love paperback books over there. Um, and I think that that comes from the fact that that's what they're used to. They're used to the paperback book, feeling it, picking it up in the store. Um, this is just my, you know, opinion based upon, right, right, right. you know, what I'm I seeing. Know, nobody, nobody shares results like that. So it's very hard to tell, but you're seeing a definite trend. Sure. Yes. Um, I will say that if you're an author and you're out there and you're going to do a video every day and put your, you know, this is my book. Please buy it. That's not necessarily going to. Right. Right. You have to be in this cult of personality, but this, but I think this is very interesting because Mindy and I have been talking about the difference between Facebook ads and Amazon ads and which one works and, and how can you read that? I mean, is there more, is there more knowledge to be gained? Mindy, Facebook ads versus Amazon ads. Do you have a, do you have a word of wisdom? And have you tried TikTok? I, I guess I would actually start this whole conversation back several, several steps instead of um, specializing in a specific resource. I think it's really useful to talk about what works for authors overall um, and what doesn't. And I personally have not used TikTok because I am one of those shy people who doesn't put my face out there. And I'm not, I don't think creatively in video. I don't think in images like that. And so um, when I sit there and say, I need to come up with alternatives, if I'm not going to be putting my face out there and I don't own a dog and my cats are extremely uncooperative. And so I need to look at what I can harness to make any form of marketing work. And at this point, my conclusion is that I don't have the bandwidth to add book talk, TikTok to my current marketing strategies because I'm one person. I can hire Heather and she can do it for me, but I um, have limitations on what I can do. And so for me, when I look at marketing, I look at what my skill set is and what I can best accomplish with that. You're most comfortable doing. What I'm most comfortable doing and also where my readers tend to congregate. My readers tend to be older readers, and so they're not necessarily on TikTok. Now, it would be lovely to harvest an entire new swath of readers um, who are not reading my books. But when I am working with a limited subset of time, I'm going to first look at the places where my readers already are so that I can get those folks to make sure that they're buying my books and then other people who look like them who are um, women who are in their 30s to 50s. Who now you're are, on the algorithms. Now you're on right. Facebook and, and Amazon. And so for my purposes, I have not yet um, reached out to TikTok. I'm very interested in it. And I know that the handful of times that I've gone on to it, I've lost three or four hours of my life instantaneously <laughs> um, from continuing to watch other videos. So yes, it's as addictive as all these other social media. But to me, a survey of marketing needs to start by looking at what are my skills and where are my readers? 
And yeah, if I can, if I can jump in there, I think any conversation about marketing, especially, especially when you're talking about like, this is for my business, right? Like you as an author, what am I going to do? I, I look at all of these things, you know, TikTok, Facebook, newsletters, paid advertising, you know, all of that. These are tools and you don't have to choose every tool in the toolbox. Maybe that tool isn't going to fit right for you um, and the whatever you're making uh, to use a building analogy because apparently that's what we're doing today. <laughs> but yeah, I, I and so if TikTok doesn't work for you and your brand right now, then that's not something that you should put a lot of time into because like you said, if you're you know you if your readers are not necessarily there, then yeah, of course you can make a conscious choice, put in a lot of effort to try to gain new readers from that app and you know that that's an option but if you don't have the time or the you know mental capacity to do it right now then i wouldn't why would you do that <laughs> you know what i mean well, that's market, not market, for you. it doesn't matter what you're marketing market saturation requires a commitment you can't do it once and go oh that right. didn't work so right. whatever it is make sure make sure you're comfortable doing it for the long term months maybe even years well they do um, say i mean it's it's like any new business. If you're a brand new author coming into this, or you're, you know, maybe Prue, like you yourself, you have several books under your belt oh, and yes. you're moving along. You I know. think I'm brand new though. We're talking with <laughs> Meredith and Mindy who have, they can't right. count how many books they have. But yeah, you have to look at where you're at in your career. And just like starting any new business that has only a couple of products versus a business like Mindy or Meredith that has a lot more products because they've been around for a while, you know, the marketing strategies and tactics are going to probably be a little bit different because they have more, right, to sell, number one. Uh, but they also, with books, the beauty of it is that you can connect them all in lovely little ways that make people want to go back and read your other series. And so That's you right. are continuously marketing your backlist when you're writing these new books that have these little connections or Easter eggs or whatever, however you're structuring it. When you only have three books uh, or four books or whatever, you know, like I'm saying, just a, a an author who's just starting out, it's a little bit harder uh, to do that because you have just what you have, which is yeah. why a lot of people say the number one advice that people always say, like how to market your next, you know, how to market, write the next book. It's obviously not as simple as that, but <laughs> there's a reason why people say that. Um, and that's, that's why. But this well, is very interesting because to get onto TikTok or any other form of social media, you really need to devote the time to become not just somebody shelling their books, but an active participant of the community, society, the community. Right. right. Um, and so if you're going to do that, then that takes a lot of time investment so that by the time you have created this goodwill among this community, maybe they're not looking at book talk anymore. Right. <laughs> because which is where we started. Because if in three months book talk isn't a big thing anymore or the videos have changed or whatever it is, by the time you create this community, it's gone. You're it, Something else is always going to come along, though. Something else is. Uh, and I think it's like, I'm sorry, it's like gun laws. You can't hope 
to hit a home run. I mean, you, first you have to do it in stages. So, I mean, you build a community on TikTok, at least it's a community. So I'm not advocating TikTok specifically, but I do think saying maybe in three months, I don't know, I'm, I'm talking myself into circles because I think there are standards that are useful and there are trends that are useful and maybe you need to know when you're surfing a wave and when you're writing a movement. So, yeah, I think that th- this is Mindy. Um, I think that there are certain marketing tools that are sort of evergreen that will always be useful. One, uh, an author's newsletter is going to have a lifespan that is probably longer than any of these individual social media campaigns. And so to the extent that you can find new readers and engage with them and get them to participate in some of these, if we're going back to the building analogy, um, foundational tools that are there, then you can um, sort of smooth out the highs and the lows of the new media that come along. And you can continue to strengthen that foundation by bringing in um, new people and new blood. Bringing in new people and new blood requires you write more books, though. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Heather. What were you going to say? Sorry. No, no, no. I heard a, a really good analogy the other day that I think uh, goes to Mindy's point. It, she was talking about, I was watching, I was on TikTok, as it were. And uh, she, I, I don't know the creator of this, so I can't, I can't credit them, but she was saying basically that there are different kinds of, you know, marketing, if you will, on, on TikTok, being an author specifically. Uh, she, and she used the house analogy because apparently here we are. Uh, it's, so there's, there's it's, people, it's your house, right? There's people who are out walking on the street and they're strangers and you can invite them into your house if you do. <laughs> You know, there's people psycho. on your porch, right? You're a big psycho. <laughs> you might you might go out and talk to those people who are strangers on the street. You might uh, then there's you know your porch area. Uh, you might have a, a drink uh, with somebody out on the porch. There's a type of person that you might do that with. You might invite somebody into your living room. Uh, there's that that you know is a possibility. And then you might some invite somebody into your bedroom. That wow, is um, romance. That is obviously the most intimate form of relationship. And she was saying that you don't need to market to all of those people. You don't need to have an intimate relationship with every single person on social media. You might just want to have them out on the porch and that's okay. You might want to, you might be that person that likes running up to strangers outside. That's okay. You can do that on social media and be that person, you know, out running up to strangers you can, it's just a different level of intimacy on social media that she was using this analogy for. And I, I thought it was framed really well um, because yeah, you don't need to be that author who invites somebody into their like life in their bedroom with every single post. If that makes you wildly uncomfortable, then then make a video where they're out on the porch. You know, that's okay. That's an extra you know? I thought it was. Um, yeah. This is Mindy. Um, I think that there are, I, I like that analogy a lot, but I also think that we can use our people detection skills to figure out if the people who are walking by the house are the people we even want to be talking to in the first place, right? or if they're the people who are remotely going to be interested in what we're doing. Um, one of the things that I've been looking at a lot lately is the people who are interested in getting my books for free 
and the people who are interested in actually buying my books. And it used to be that I could give away a free book to somebody and reliably count on them to work down the road and buy my books in in the future. And I have a pretty high confidence in the read-through rate of my series based on years and years and years of selling those series. Um, But in the last couple of years, and maybe since the beginning of pandemic, maybe even more recently than that, I have found that the readers who want free books are not at all interested in buying books. They will take my free book and then they'll take Prue's free book and then they'll take Meredith's free book and they are not interested in ever coming back and buying our books. And so to get back to the house analogy, there are some people that I am just going to wave at from the porch, but I am never going to plan on investing anything in bringing them into the house because I have found that they are not good house guests when it comes to my career. Meredith, do you do a first in series free? I used to, but like Mindy says, I have not found that those who download that first free book are going to go and buy the next book or the books after that. Is that and a so, recent change? Is that it, a recent change? Or? I it, It's about a year or so since I yeah. changed my free books to 99 cents. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Because someone and has so to invest in them, and somebody has and to invest are, something. Are, are your clients finding the same thing? Are you doing a for? Do you advocate first and free for your clients? I do like first and free as long as it's working, right? Like like they're saying, if it stops working, then you have to try something out. Uh, try something else out. I will say, from I haven't seen that with my clients, um, like across the board. I, I might have one that's you know. Oh, a series just isn't selling like it used to. And we're trying to, to yeah, figure that one out. But I will say that what I have seen price point wise is 99 cent sales are not selling at all like they used to. It's either oh. free or nothing. If you have a 99 cent sale, your downloads, even if it's a book bub, are like way less, uh, so like substantially less. At least that's what I'm being told, right? Then you know, even a year ago or a year and a half ago. And that so the free book ones are doing better for that. That's specifically for BookBub, obviously. But, well, but I think BookBub's an interesting topic because BookBub has been like a um, the holy grail to me. I can never get a BookBub. Right. And when I say a BookBub, you can go on and buy ads on BookBub that they'll send out with their newsletter. But that's not that's not what we're looking at here. We're looking yeah. at a featured deal where BookBub will put you at the top of the list and it costs... $500 or something to have your ad be placed as a book bub. Well, how much? How much does it cost? It depends what category you're in, but I mean, Meredith and Mindy, they probably know current prices. I think it's what, 700 like, now or something? Seven or 800. Yeah. Um, it it depends. This is Mindy. Um, it depends on which category and what price you're offering your book at. Um, so if you're going for the largest of the romance categories, contemporary romance, and you want your book to be 99 cents, it's almost $1,000. It's um, 980, I think. But if you are offering your book for free, that drops. They recognize that you're not going to be earning as much back at, on the front end. Um, and so it is somewhat lower. Amazon makes it extremely difficult to set a book free. Yes, they do. They are not. Yes. They're annoying with a lot of things. Let's just apparently now is not 
I mean, Mindy, you had a BookBub feature deal recently that did you almost no good at all. That's right. I did a um, BookBub. It was on a sports romance and BookBub always places sports romances in their new adult category. Although there's nothing inherently in common um, between uh, heroes and heroines who are either in college or very recently out and sports romance, but that's where they place them. And so for BookBub featured deal followers who are looking for sports romances, they do know to look in new adults. So it sort of ends up functioning the same way. But I had a um, three book bundle that I had had as a BookBub featured deal in the past, but had not um, had it as a featured deal in over two years. And I uh, got the uh, free BookBub for it. And there are two, this is a nine book series. And so I was putting the first three in for um, free in uh, BookBub as a featured deal. And then I had the six last books in the series that are available as individual books or in two sets of three book bundles. Um, Mm -hmm. So you can get the middle three or the last three. And within two weeks after the BookBub feature deal, I still had not earned out the price, even with those three book bundles. And then I stopped calculating because it's hard to see um, with the background noise because I I always sell some of the books. Um, And so it became very difficult to tell which had sold because of the BookBub feature deal and which had not. That series has a weird hiccup going on right now. I, Like I said, I always have this background noise. For some reason, the individual volumes right now are selling very well on Apple, which has never oh. been one of my strong sellers um, for that That's series. Weird. Now, is that related to the BookBub featured deal, which now was over two months ago? I don't think so. I think there's something else that's going on. Don't you but love this is one of the problems like with marketing is that you're always yeah. trying to figure out which cause added up to which effect, which Heather, I'm sure you see all the time with your clients. All the time. All the time. People, I mean, sometimes I love it when a client is like, hey, did you do something today? Because I just got 30 pre-orders and I like go and look because I schedule things out. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not like actively posting when you see me post because I'm, I'm not a lunatic. But uh, so I schedule things out. And so a client will be like, you know, say something like that. And I'll go and I'll double check and, oh, yeah, okay, we had a teaser share. Great. So now we have an answer for that. It's always nice when you can give a nice, solid answer. However, sometimes they'll be like, hey, I suddenly started selling in this series from five years ago that we've done no, nothing, nothing on, nothing. And (laughs) like not a focus of the marketing plan. And suddenly it starts selling and it is... Then you're trying to reverse engineer. Then you're like, hey, did somebody put it in their newsletter? Like, did did a friend of mine like just throw it in there? And you literally have no idea sometimes. It is almost impossible to reverse engineer these things. And then also the same thing when a book falls off a cliff. That's what I like to call it. I don't know if that's what you guys call it. But when you're selling, 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 and then it literally just stops selling. And you have no reason that you can go to to point and say, I stopped the ads or I you know, the promotion was over there. That doesn't exist. And yet you have a marketable like dip in sales. That is incredibly frustrating. And a lot of times we, (laughs) a lot of times with my clients, I don't try to focus too much on the why, because we can run in that circle all day long. 
and chase our tails. But it's a matter of trying to figure out, okay, how do we fix it? Let's just try something else to fix it because clearly this is not working anymore. And usually, I mean, it sounds like such a throwaway excuse of like, oh, the algorithm must not be working anymore. But no, really, like it's probably that the algorithm just isn't working for you anymore. And we have to trick it to make it like you again. That's insane. That's insane. <laughs> you guys, you guys are nodding along. So I have a feeling you've experienced that as well. So frustrating. So weird. And only have these little five dinky books. You, Heather, you in particular would rather run a Facebook ad than an Amazon ad. Personally, yes, because it has a faster ROI. Amazon ads can often be slow to do anything if they spend their money, your money. And then when they do spend their, your money, which Prue, I know you've experienced, sometimes they can spend a lot of your money yes. and um, not really give you any results. Right. Either. So, and, and sometimes they won't spend the money I tell them to spend. Right. They're not consistent. They're not, and they're different with every author because you can say, oh, this is what I did to get the positive results. Another author will go in, try that literally to the letter, exact same strategy, nothing. And then they've spent, you know, two grand and. Yeah, but you know, there's not a human back there deciding who gets, you know, it's all algorithm. Why isn't the algorithm constant? I'm so confused. Because I think Amazon updates their algorithm all the time. I don't think it's. (laughs) Hourly. Yeah, because I, I like the other platforms, for example, Facebook you know, that's just sort of rolling, right? TikTok has a very specific algorithm. I mean, very specific. Instagram, you know, their Instagram is Facebook. So I think that those algorithms, their social media algorithms, they're looking for things you like. I am, and I've heard feedback from clients that when they go in and upload a book on Amazon, when they change the description, when they do something in their dashboard, it has, it can affect sales Positive in a positive manner or negative, yeah. no, or a negative matter. One of the or two, negative. either way. Yeah. I had a They're client like dealing but, with a pouty teenager. They're just, you yes. can't figure it out. I would actually say instead of dealing with a pouty teenager, I think it's more like dealing with a brainy robot. You know, they are where, where we push is going to have an effect somewhere, but we can't always see where that effect is from the cause that we have stimulated. They have so many elements to their algorithm that they're going to take into account um, how many books you have in their store, whether those books are KU or not, whether they're, how long those books have been around each individual book. Um, how, and so all of those, they have so much data And so today they may decide to weight that data differently than they did six months ago. And we see huge changes in the effect on us. You know, if they decide all of a sudden that they don't care when your first book was published, then those of us who have books that were published 20 years ago are going to see a huge effect. Whereas those of you who have just started publishing and only have a a publishing history of one or two years may not see any effect from that change. Yeah. So Mindy, which do you prefer? You prefer also Facebook over Amazon? I've been doing a lot of experimentation with both of them and I have a tremendous amount of frustration with both of them. I 
I believe that when you have small amounts of money to spend, that Amazon is a more effective tool. And if you have larger amounts of money to spend, you can move the needle faster and further by using uh, Facebook ads. All of that said, you know, with Amazon, you can eventually see how many copies of your books have sold through Amazon. With Facebook ads, there's always this sort of knowledge gap of whether your Facebook ad caused a sale on Amazon. Um, and there are some ways to get around that. You can um, use affiliate codes, which you're not allowed to use, and I'm not in any means advocating that. You can send people to a landing page um, that legally uses affiliate codes, but then you lose people who click through. So it's very difficult to tell when a Facebook ad has worked. What you look at as the proxy for sales on Facebook is a click-through rate on your ad. And one of the things I've really been looking at lately is whether... Um, I, I can do a half dozen Facebook ads and and have different designs of those ads, different graphics for them, and try to appeal to different audiences. And almost always, Facebook very quickly tells me, this is the best ad. This is the clickiest one. It's the one that the most people are going to. But if the most people are clicking on that ad, but I'm attracting people who don't understand what I'm writing, then that clickiest ad is not a good ad for me. Right, right. Yeah. And so the more niche one's work is, the harder it is, I think, to get Facebook ads to work successfully. If you're writing dangerous romance and your ad says, here is a mafia biker bad boy who is also a dom of his private dungeon, you can be pretty sure that you are going to get readers who want to read that. But if you are writing Southern fiction that has occasional ghosts and looks back at medieval literature as a um, basis for poetry in the books, the fact that people clicked on the cute guy in your ad does not necessarily mean that they're going to buy the first book, and they very well may not buy further going through that series. Oh, absolutely. I thousand percent agree with you there. I mean, you can go, you can have the clickiest ad in the world and it can be like at, you know, two cents a click and you think you're rocking it, but you're making no sales. Well, there's, there's a disconnect, you know, people, okay, good. You made a good ad. Good for you. Now make one that's relevant to your book. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. See, that's um, why that's the, in my simplistic world. That's why I would rather run an Amazon ad than a Facebook ad because the Amazon ad will say, "Look, you sold ten books today." That'd well, you have to remember but, too, Amazon ads are they're they're inherently different than Facebook ads because the Amazon ad is targeting somebody who's already on the Amazon platform who is already right. theoretically looking around for books. Right. Whereas a Facebook ad is targeting somebody who is on Facebook or Instagram or wherever the you know heck you decided to to place it, they're just scrolling, they're doom scrolling, they're whatever scrolling, and you're hoping to grab them and then direct them off that site to a new site. So they are different in that way. It's more of like a a warm you know ad versus a a, a more cold ad. ad. Yeah. Now with targeting, you can on Facebook, you can sort of narrow that and make it a little warmer. But Amazon is certainly going to be warmer than that, no matter what, because they are already on the platform that they want to buy on. So of course now they've made it difficult to buy it digitally uh, through your Kindle. 
uh, which is frustrating on Amazon. Um, what? It's difficult to buy through your phone. <laughs> yeah. So on your phone, Android. Android. on your Android phone, yeah. there, it had to do with the, the, basically the money that Google was charging them to have in-app purchases through the Kindle app and Amazon no longer wanted to pay the the premium for that mm-hmm. privilege. So now they now they direct you to the desktop and you can purchase them on the desktop and then read them whatever. It's, well on iOS you can't been, do it anyway. On yeah. iOS you can't you can't buy through the Kindle app. So right. exactly. Yeah that's yeah. And that's why they've always done it that way because Apple won't yeah that that, that relationship. <laughs> yeah. They don't play nice. Yeah. That's funny because all this time we haven't even talked about how weird Apple is. <laughs> Amazon. Now, but before, you know, we are, I'm taking up too much of your time, but let me ask you about the myth of Kickstarter. <laughs> Kickstarter. I mean, That's a fantastic because, question, Pro, because it, yeah. it's, it's something new that, that authors mm-hmm. are looking into. Okay. They? Let me, let me do a brief explanation and then you guys can correct me. There are authors some of them have made so much money, it's worth paying attention to. There are authors who are providing the opportunity to readers to receive specialized merchandise in return for an investment in the next book. This happens on the website or the app Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And there's, a, I think he's a suspense guy who made $7 million dollars. One of the Washington Romance writers members made over a million dollars in a Kickstarter. And I want to know why they can do it. And I suspect I would not be successful. Well, I mean, you look at the one guy, he has a massive fan base. Can we remember who that guy is? Does anyone remember? Brian Sanderson is, I think, his name. His, his name uh, is Brandon Sanderson. Brandon, thank you. Killing he me. is a um, fantasy author fantasy. who inherited one of the primary fantasy properties um, called Eye of the World. They were books by Robert Jordan. And Robert Jordan passed away and Brandon Sanderson was tapped to finish that series. And he has many, many books that he's written on his own. His Mistborn series is one of the um, leading fantasy series of the past 10 years. And did he make seven million on Kickstarter? Oh, he made forty-one million dollars. It was way forty-one. More. Oh well. But see, so here's there. the thing. Here's oh. the thing that Brandon did, and I apologize deeply if he ever hears this for messing up his name. But he released, if I understand correctly, the Kickstarter was for like, I don't, I don't know if this number is correct, but like ten books in the series. Like it was, it was a lot or something. No, um, he announced that he had four new books that were going four to be books. published. And they were going to be available in ebook and print and audio, and then in a deluxe print edition. And so he announced to anybody on Kickstarter um, that they could buy in those levels. Um, if you only wanted ebook, if you only wanted hardcover, if you only wanted audio, if you wanted everything. This follows up on a Kickstarter that he did a couple of years ago, where he did luxury editions of existing books, where Mm -hmm. the people who sponsored the Kickstarter could get maps, and they could get stickers, and they could get um, leather-bound editions, and there were all sorts of payout levels. But the most recent one, the $41 million one, was a much simpler these are four books. You can get them or not. And and they uh, weren't available anywhere else. 
they are not, they will first be available to Kickstarter people, but he will have the ability to then put them in stores after he fulfills his Kickstarter goals. Right. So you have an author who has a huge following, right? A a very, very large one. These were my understanding anticipated books. People wanted these, like they were, you know, it's not like he started a new series and was like, I, you know, something random. This was a continuation or people were asking for these for, for some time. So he capitalized on the moment. I mean, that's the way I look at it from the, the marketing business perspective. He said, okay, I'm going to do this. And clearly he had done it before uh, using that platform for different things. Let's try to do something a little bit different. And, you know, did it this way. I, I mean, it's beautiful what he did. I saw he also had a surprise video. Like he had a video that like announced this and there was like teasers about it going around before he did the big announcement. He also, to be clear, has a staff of a couple dozen people. Yes. Uh, you know, he, <laughs> he is essentially one of the largest publishing companies in the United States right now. And his fulfillment of this Kickstarter, he has to grapple with all of these supply chain issues that we've all been hearing about. He has to deal with containers that are offshore that aren't, you know, is so, um, well, you know, we can all sit back and say, I would love $41 million. He has a business structure that is set up to handle this in a way that, I certainly don't. <laughs> I suspect that none of the four of us do. Um, and, um, you know, it, it's almost like there are, he writes in the fantasy genre, but he actually writes in the bestseller genre where the rules are completely different from. That's a very good point. Yeah. I mean, do, it's do like- you put, do you, do you put Sherilyn Kenyon in there? Because she did a thing in our Celebration Corner newsletter at WRW, Washington Women's Writers, that Sherilyn Kenyon said, I was just contacted by Kickstarter and told that I am the number one highest funded women's author in Kickstarter history. They are thrilled as they've been wanting more romance authors in their program. In less than three days, I've reached almost a million dollars with my campaign. Congrats wow. to her. That's amazing. No kidding. Is I'm she like, Yeah, you can use these tools. I mean, if this is something that interests you, you can use these tools. I love, I love that some authors are trying to go out of the box and try something a little bit different. Things that are very popular right now that I think that are feeding some of this Kickstarter, you know, thing is, you know, those custom editions, right? The the discrete covers or custom editions of paperbacks or actually a hardback instead of a paperback, all of the really pretty covers and all of that sort of stuff, people are clamoring a bit for right now. Uh, if they love the author and they love the the story, they want more and they can't read the book again. So I mean, they, could, they possibly, can't read it for the first time. You can't possibly advocate it for someone who has a newsletter list of 598 people. Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, you got to start somewhere. You got to build the brand. And you could, I'm not saying I wouldn't advocate for it because if you wanted to create something of value, that you had something of value, and then you were going to market that Kickstarter campaign, I think it could be worth it. I, I think with anything, with any marketing tool, like we were talking about before, you have to sort of go into it, you know, fully. You can't just put up a post and be like, 
and then cry about it a week later when nobody you know, bought your book or signed up for your campaign. You have to do the work for it. You have to be willing to be like, I have this Kickstarter campaign. I have this Kickstarter campaign. I have this Kickstarter, you know, like everywhere (laughs) across social media. People have to be sick of hearing you talk about it. Truly. I have a friend who did a Kickstarter campaign. He's not a regular author. He writes actually Dungeons and Dragons books. Um, very popular. Very popular. Very. And he started his campaign six months before his social media campaign, six months before his Kickstarter campaign. Mm-hmm. And he got advert, he took out advertisements and he got mentioned on big Dungeons and Dragons podcasts. And he did a <coughs> huge thing. And so that when he started his Kickstarter, it was fully funded within 45 minutes. Damn. Yeah. And then it he started, you know, all of the bonus things. And and he made a boatload. So it's Um, it's, this is I'm sorry, go ahead. This is Mindy. I used to be a lawyer before I was an author. And there's a saying in the legal field that hard cases make bad law. That when you have cases that are really outliers because of the facts of the case, that it's very difficult to take those cases and and apply them to everyday situations. And so when we talk about these hugely successful Brandon Sanderson's and Sherilyn Kenyon and Mr. D&D, those are really instructive to see what they've accomplished. But I think that we make an error if we say, I can do the same thing. Um, Instead, I think we need to look at what made those campaigns work. And as Heather said, if, you know, uh, Brandon had an an audience that was hot, that was ready for these books, and Mr. D&D contacted podcasts who were ready to spread the word, (laughs) and Sherilyn has a rabid audience who will follow her anywhere in the country where she makes a physical appearance. And so she had this installed base of readers. And so I think we can look at that. And when we have Prue's list of 600 people on our newsletter, we can say, how can we make those 600 as engaged as the hundreds of thousands of readers these other people had? But I think it's a mistake to say, this podcast was amazing. I'm going to go set up my Kickstarter right now. And if I don't get $20 million, I'm a failure. Right. I mean, my toxic trait is watching these DIY TikToks and thinking I can do them in the first try. I mean, that's sort of the same thing. Like I see the end product and I'm like, oh, that can't be that bad. And then I go and try, you know, whatever art project, DIY, whatever. And it looks like utter crap. (laughs) Why? Because this is my first time doing it. And that three second or 12 second video cut out, you know, the years of training that it took that artist or or whatnot to get that perfect place. That's what we're missing here. Um, And so you have to do, I think it comes down to, you got to do the work, right? You got to find a way. If we come back to the beginning with your brand and the tools that are available to build your audience in a way that works best for you, that you're most comfortable with. And, you know, maybe some things that push you a little bit out of your comfort zone, because that's where we grow. That's where we grow as humans. So don't be afraid. Uh, that's where we grow as audiences. We're well, so far past our time. 
I'm just going to tell you the things that I did not ask you about, even though we're past our time. When do you put old books into KU? Book launch parties, do they still work? Paid reviews, are they worth it? Goodreads, is that a useful tool? Traditional publishing has huge advantages that indie publishers don't. And bookstores and libraries, how the hell do indie authors make their way into there? And I know all of you have comments on all of those, but look, we are so far past our time that I am drawing it to a close. We'll have to come back. Go there. Right, Mindy? Yes, you guys (laughs) will just have to come back. That's it. (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your frustrations and your glee and your interest. I'm very grateful to both of you and to you, Mary. And to you, Prue, for your fantastic questions and putting this together. I really appreciate it. Fantastic questions, which translate down to what the hell do I do now? (laughs) But see, the thing is, Prue, is that no matter where you are in your career, we're still asking the same question. Yes. Right. Unless we're Brian Sanderson or Sherilyn Kenyon. Brandon, Brandon, don't don't pick up my back. Yes. (laughs) Did I say it wrong? I'm sorry. Meredith, next week, we're going to talk to Audrey Huey, who has an author planner that I think you know and love. Is that right? That is true. And in fact, she just ran a Kickstarter. Perfect. You can ask her all your Kickstarter questions. Some questions for her. Thank you, Heather. Thank you, Mindy. I'm very grateful. Thank you both. Thank you for having us. Thank you. That's it for the Writer's Block Party this week. We don't want you getting so drunk on knowledge that you can't drive your laptop safely. But next week we'll be here before you know it, so check out the website at thewritersblockpartypodcast.com. One word. That's where you can find our archive of past podcasts and a place where you can get in touch with Mary and Prue or ask questions for the next podcast. Write with joy, friends, and see you next week.